Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Okay, Jim Calhoun. Episode NASCAR icon. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is, is on the, the phone. Sports podcast. It Air. is Wednesday, June 1, 2022. Yeah. I hope everybody's doing it. I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend. Really quick, I hope the number one listener of this show, my mom, is having a great birthday. Happy birthday, mom, June 1. I did not forget. And I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. I'll say this. I know I say it every episode. June 1 is not supposed to be a show that is as packed as it is today. Yet here we are, and I got so much stuff. I don't know how I'm going to fit it all into an hour. Hashtag first world problems. Hashtag let's get into it. The show we're going to start with, the big story, we know what it is. Destin, Florida, SEC coaches meetings, usually the most boring thing on the calendar. Not so boring this year. Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, same room. We're going to discuss what happened in Florida on Tuesday because I kind of felt like while we didn't get the Jimbo, Nick Saban fireworks that we were expecting, still a very important day and some interesting stuff that came out of Destin. From there, we'll take a quick break. Today, Wednesday, is the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft for players. Uh, over the last probably four or five days since the last time we recorded, a couple really big name players have decided whether to stay or go. I'll tell you about the biggest decisions that have been made, the biggest decisions that will get made by the end of the day today. It's obviously worth noting. These are fluid situations. By midnight tonight, June 1, players have to withdraw from the draft if they want to return to college. So the stuff that I'm going to talk about in the second segment, depending on when you listen, um, it could be old news as guys like Drew Timmy, as guys like Marcus Sasser. There's a couple guys that still have yet to decide uh, who could decide by the time you listen to this. Finally, speaking of draft decisions, we will talk a little bit about what happened at Kentucky on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday. Busy day. Jacob Toppin's back. I think that's important, more important than you might think. New assistant coach KT Turner, I tell you what I know about him. And how about that spicy Dewan Wagner rumor that my buddy Matt Jones put out? Uh, one quick scheduling note before we get to the show itself today. Weird taping schedule this week. Obviously, because of the holiday, no show on Monday. Today is obviously Wednesday, and we are going to also do a no new show tomorrow on Thursday 
after all of the NBA draft deadline decisions. So no show on Friday. We're doing Wednesday, Thursday this week. Next week's going to be a little bit of a quirky one as well. I'm traveling on Sunday, so I don't know if I will do a show Monday. But we'll start to get back to a normal schedule. The important thing for this week is that we have new shows on Wednesday and Thursday. Today is Wednesday's show. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, like I told you last week, it is the SEC coaches meetings in Destin, Florida. And I'll say this, the SEC coaches meetings have been going on forever in Florida at this time, right around Memorial Day, a couple days before, a couple days after, whatever. For people who do not know or who have never heard of these meetings before, these are basically the most boring meetings on the planet. It's to get all these guys together in one room and talk about all the boring stuff that none of us really care about scheduling, this, that, whatever. Then you go play some golf, then you have a few drinks, then you go home, and maybe a few really kind of rudimentary things that nobody cares about happen. Well, as I said last week, this year is important for two reasons. One, the SEC has to redo its scheduling model because they got two schools called Texas and Oklahoma coming in a few years. But that's not really why everybody was interested. Everybody was interested this year because, oh, I don't know, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban have been bickering at each other like two little chihuahuas back and forth over the last two weeks. So this was the first time they were in a room together. This was the first time that they were going to be together since all of this happened. Don't know how many of you saw the seating chart that was posted on Twitter. Our guys at Torres on Auburn did a great job of finding that and posting it. But Jimbo Fisher was stuck between two SEC officials on one side, two SEC officials on the other side. All the other coaches were in alphabetical order, which basically shows you that they were worried about Jimbo Fisher going off. Well, Jimbo Fisher didn't go off, but there were some really important things that happened in Destin on Tuesday. And so I want to get to them because I actually think there's some significant stuff that we learned on Tuesday or at least significant things that were talked about. But let's start with the headliner. We can't not start with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. And let's start with it from the Nick Saban perspective. What I would say is Nick Saban didn't say much about the fiasco, but ultimately I was still kind of disappointed in Nick Saban for all the same reasons that I have been disappointed in Nick Saban since all of this started. First of all, for people who didn't hear what he said, credit to a buddy of mine, uh, Olin Buchanan, who covers Texas A&M for Texags. He does a great job. And I give him so much credit because he is an old school uh, uh, newspaper guy that is not afraid to ask tough questions. When Jimbo Fisher was rumored to go to LSU, he was the one at the front of the press conference saying, Jimbo, are these rumors true? Address these rumors. Uh, when, the, uh, when the Nick Saban comments first happened, Olin Buchanan was the one that was one of the first people, and I don't want to discredit other people in the Texas A&M media, but he was the first one to say, Coach, what, what was your reaction? And then I think he was the one who asked the question that prompted uh, Jimbo Fisher to say, I'm never talking to that guy again. Well, Olin Buchanan was at SEC coaches meetings on Tuesday, and he was the one that really asked the tough question about Nick Saban. He asked Nick Saban, I'm just going to give you the back and forth between what was said so you know what Nick Saban said and why I'm a little bit disappointed about it. So here was the question right out of the gate from my boy Olin Buchanan to Nick Saban, the most powerful man in college football, if not college sports as, as a whole. He says to Nick Saban, what evidence do you have that Texas A&M bought its entire recruiting class? Nick Saban coyly says, you know, I didn't really say anything I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. Olin Buchanan then immediately cuts him off and follows up and says, 
You said they bought their recruiting class. And Saban paused, continued, and said, I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I said everything I'm going to say about this. He then followed up with what he said a few weeks ago. I should have never mentioned any individual institution, and I said that before. So Nick Saban is, of course, referencing the fact that, one, he went off on Jimbo Fisher, Miami, as well as Jackson State, and in that serious XM interview the following day, he essentially stuck to this script that he has now put out there, that he now put out there on Tuesday at the SEC coaches meetings that just because I said he bought the recruiting class, it doesn't mean that he did anything wrong. And by technicality, Nick Saban is correct. He never actually said that Texas A&M did anything wrong or that any school did anything wrong by paying recruits, even if we don't have any proof as Olin Buchanan followed up, that these recruits have been, in fact, paid. But why I'm disappointed in Nick Saban is, first of all, that is the worst spin zone ever. Don't tell me that just because you didn't say they did anything wrong that the inference wasn't there, right? You don't get asked about NIL, go on a six, seven-minute rant that includes A&M bought their whole recruiting class, we didn't do that, but we might have to in the future if you weren't implying that they did something wrong. And so one, no, you're technically right, Nick Saban. You didn't say that they did anything wrong. I understand that the NCAA rulebook is a mess on this stuff, that there's no clear guidelines, and that by technicality, Texas A&M didn't really break any rules. Although, to be honest, they really did if what, they, what you said they did was true. But two, I don't think this half-hearted apology is good enough, and I don't think him simply saying, oh, I didn't say they did anything wrong, is good enough either. And I do think there is a way that he could address this more correctly without just, like, like there's just a way that he could address this better without coming off looking like a little bit of a petty jerk. And I hate to say it, Alabama fans, I know you're mad at me right now because I'm the only one criticizing Nick Saban, but it's true. There was a way for him to handle this in in a way that he is truly apologetic to to Jimbo Fisher, to Texas A&M, to a smaller degree Jackson State, without doing it the way that he's done it. There's a way that he can do it. I don't know exactly what he could say, but something to the effect of, look, I made some very bad accusations against Texas A&M, and while by technicality they would not be breaking NCAA rules, obviously the implication was that they did something wrong. I apologize to Nick Jimbo Fisher. There's no proof of that. I also, by the way, apologize to Jackson State because I said that it was reported in a newspaper that Jackson State paid a million dollars for a recruit which also isn't true. Instead, he sticks to the, well, I didn't say they did anything wrong. Well, if they they didn't do anything wrong, then why did you go off the way that you did? And by the way, if if they did what you're accusing them of doing, they did do something wrong. Because the NCAA rulebook, as vague as it is, does say... You can't use NIL money as a recruiting enticement. As Jimbo Fisher said, you, it's breaking Texas law to give them NIL money as part of their recruitment to Texas A&M. Do I believe for the thousandth time that zero NIL guarantees or promises or thoughts or conversation happened with the Texas A&M recruiting class? I think that's silly. But at the same time, I think Nick Saban probably a week ago should have given a better apology. But this idea that you're going to stick with the I didn't say they did anything wrong. Yeah, you didn't have to say it, okay? Um, you know, 
my wife can can tell me that I've gained weight without saying, Aaron, you gained weight. You know, like, 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 it's just, it's so stupid. It's so dumb. And to me, there was a way that Nick Saban could have handled this. Not only that I should not have talked about specific schools, I should not have referenced things that simply have not proven to be true. A little bit disappointed with Nick Saban's behavior, though ultimately not all that surprised that we didn't get much more out of Nick Saban. I'll also say this. I'm not that surprised we didn't get anything out of Jimbo Fisher either. And, and this was one thing that I did see out of uh, the, the, the day from Destin is that a lot of the head coaches spoke, including Nick Saban, including Lane Kiffin, including Kirby Smart, including Eli Drinkwitz, including a couple of these other guys, one of which we'll get to in a minute. Jimbo Fisher refused to speak. And I think there was a lot of people that gave Jimbo Fisher pushback. Why didn't you speak? Why didn't you address this? Why didn't you comment on it? Um, but what I would say is a couple things. I'm going to defend Jimbo Fisher, which I've done a lot over the last couple weeks. I understand why everybody wanted him to speak. I wanted him to speak. But I don't really know what Jimbo Fisher at this point has to gain out of continuing to have this conversation, right? First of all, my guess is that Greg Sankey probably said pretty clearly, Jimbo, we're, we're going to let you sit this one out. Instead of, uh, you know, instead of uh, talking to the media, why don't you go hit the uh, lunch buffet a little bit early? Uh, or why don't you take a coach? You know, why don't you get out of here? Don't worry about this media obligation. One, I'm sure Greg Sankey didn't really want him to say anything. Um, but two, like what, what left is there for Jimbo Fisher to say? And it really goes back to the day that Nick Saban made those comments. What did I say afterwards on the next show? I didn't think Jimbo Fisher was going to address them then because he had already addressed this in February. If you remember back in February, Lane Kiffin was very critical and very accusatory of what happened at Texas A&M. Basically said that there are certain schools that are playing outside of the salary cap and making all sorts of accusations, again, off of a baseless internet rumor from a guy named Slice Bread who works for Bro Bible. And so in February, Jimbo Fisher basically had the same press conference it just wasn't about Nick Saban that he had just a week or so ago. So Jimbo Fisher already spoke about this a few weeks ago. Jimbo, or Jimbo Fisher already spoke about it a few months ago on signing day in February. Jimbo Fisher spoke about it again after Nick Saban's comments. And is there anything new? Is he going to say, oh, you know, I forgive Nick Saban? No, he's pissed. He's mad. I don't blame him. I would be too. Also, he said everything there is to say. He's not talking to Nick Saban. He's unapologetic. He doesn't believe his school did anything wrong, and he's ready to move on. So I saw some brushback with, with Jimbo Fisher. Uh, I get why he didn't speak, and I don't blame him at all. Kind of hitting some of the other quick takeaways from the day in Destin. This is day one. Obviously, if anything else interesting comes out this week, we'll address on Thursday's show or next week. One of the interesting things that, 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 that did kind of come up is it does look like we're starting to get some clarification on what future SEC schedules can look like. If you remember last week, I talked a little bit about it. There's kind of two different models on the table. Again, the reason being twofold as to why the SEC is changing its scheduling model. One, they're getting Texas and Oklahoma here in it no more than, what, three years. 2025 is the latest they can end up in the SEC. And then two, they're trying to figure out how to make this scheduling model with uncertainty going forward with the college football playoff. Is it going to stay at four? Is it going to go to eight? Is it going to go to 12 with four teams getting a bye? I think that's ultimately where we end up. Greg Sankey tried to throw his weight around, said, if you don't want to expand this playoff, we'll take our ball, go home, have our own playoff. So why do I bring it up? It is because on Tuesday, we started to get a little bit of buzz on what that new SEC schedule could look like. Remember, there were two models that I discussed last week what's called a 3-6 model, 
where you would play three rivals every single year and then six six of the other teams, which means that in total you would play every team in the league at least once every two years and you would play your three rivals once a year, every single year. That would maintain some of the bigger rivals. And some of these teams that have more than one rival, say like Auburn, that historically has always played Alabama and Georgia, that allows you to keep that model in place. There was also the 1-7 model, which if you do the math, it's one fewer SEC game, and it is obviously many fewer games with league rivals. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated. If you go to the 1-7 model, you only have eight SEC games, which could benefit you, one more out-of-conference game, but you're probably going to lose many marquee rivals. Think about, again, Georgia, or think about Auburn. They would lose either Georgia or Alabama, very likely Georgia off their schedule annually. Think about Texas when they come to the SEC. I think we all want to see them play Oklahoma, and we all want to see them play Texas A&M. The 1-8 model does not allow them to play that schedule every year. And so why am I bringing it up? It is because at the SEC meetings, it appears as though there is a push for a 3-6 model, which means nine total SEC games. That appears to be the preferred model of Nick Saban, not surprisingly. And I think in general, when you look at this, what you need to realize is the schools that it most benefits certainly are in favor of the extra league game, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs, the programs that are historically good. And then the old Mrs. Lane Kiffin is one of those guys that he said, well, you know, nothing's official yet. Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Arkansas, those are the schools that are probably more in favor of the eight game model because one fewer league game means one more probably home game uh, in the out-of-conference, one more win built into the schedule. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. It appears as though there's a push for the 3-6. Obviously, there would still be scenarios where some rivalries would be eliminated. I think that, to me, is the most interesting thing about the 3-6 is how do you determine who the three schools are that you play every year? There are certain schools that have more than probably three rivals, frankly, right? Like you think about Tennessee, uh, historically, Florida has been a rival, Alabama's been a rival, Georgia's been a rival, Vandy and Kentucky because of kind of common geography. I don't know if you call them rivals, but certainly teams that they're used to playing every year. So what do you do with Tennessee? But then on the opposite, what do you do with a team like, say, Mississippi State that really has the historic rivalry with Ole Miss and not much else? So that'll be the interesting thing going forward. If we end up on the 3-9 model at some point, um, who ends up playing who every single year. That, to me, would be the most interesting thing. I'll also say this. If we get to the 3-6 model, which means nine league games, I might have said the 3-9 model. I meant the 3-6 model. If we get the 3-6 model, what that means to me is that we are pretty close to college football playoff expansion. I don't think the SEC is going to risk having its teams take extra losses in the regular season if there's still only four teams and it's still basically going to be one to two teams that get into the playoff every year. Finally, what I would say, and you're not going to believe this, um, I thought the most interesting comment that I heard all day came from the least likely of people, and that was new Florida head coach Billy Napier, okay? And if you don't remember, Billy Napier was at Louisiana Lafayette. It's just called University of Louisiana, but you know, it's in Lafayette, small town in Louisiana. I actually drove through it when I was at the Final Four, went to meet a friend and drove through Louisiana Lafayette, Lafayette, Louisiana, small little town. He's the first year head coach at Florida. Uh, And he said something that I thought was really interesting. Obviously, the big topic is NIL. How do we wrap our arms around it? And it seemed as though every coach kind of had the same thing 
We want players to be able to benefit off their name image likeness, but how do we kind of do it in the way that it was intended, not where we're just paying players under the table based on their recruiting rankings and all that good stuff. So Billy Napier was asked about it, and I don't know the exact question, I don't know the exact context, but he actually took it in a different direction than anybody else. Let me, let me, let me pause because this is important. Billy Napier, in a conversation about NIL, took it in a direction that I have not heard any coach discuss at all. But what I would also say is this. It speaks very much to something that I said last week. Let's first get to what Billy Napier said about NIL. Here's what he said. He had a lot of different comments, but this was the one that really stood out to me. He was asked about the TV revenue that is created by all of, the, all of these conferences. Remember, the SEC just signed a new TV deal with ESPN that's going to kick in soon. We're talking 50, 60, 70 million dollars a year per conference in TV revenue. The Big Ten could sign a billion dollar TV contract. And so Billy Napier was asked about this and had an interesting comment. Here's what he said. If you go back to 1990, I did some research the other day. Each SEC institution got like 1.3 million a year from the league. 1990. Just 13 years ago, I think it was six or seven million. I think this 2024 TV deal is in the high 60s, low 70 million per year. I've been in this profession and I've observed the explosion. So he continues, and this is where it's interesting. I think it's foolish to say that the players don't deserve a piece of the pie. I think that if there's no players in these stadiums, they're not showing up to watch. They're certainly not sitting in their home watching it on TV. And so I don't know if you just caught what Billy Napier, the new head coach at Florida, said, but what he said is something very fascinating because, again, all of these, play, all of these coaches are in favor of NIL. They're in favor of a player doing an autograph signing, a player getting a, a T-shirt deal, um, whatever, a local car deal. What Billy Napier said was something completely different. Billy Napier talked about the idea of players getting a piece of the TV revenue, which is best I can tell. I mean, it's something that every professional league gets and certainly no colleges to to this point in history have ever gotten. That to me is a huge quote. And I don't think, and again, I go back to what I said last week with Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, when he said that college football should run itself, let all of the other sports fall under the NCAA's umbrella. If Gene Smith hadn't heard that's where it was trending, I don't think he says that. And with Billy Napier, I don't think if he doesn't believe that in the next 10, 15, 20 years that the players are getting a piece of the TV pie, like basically in his lifetime, in his time as a college football coach, I don't think he says that. And so why this is so interesting is because if this were to happen, and if, by the way, if we have any lawyers that listen to this show and I'm completely wrong on this, please feel free to email me, Aaron Torres, podcastquestions at gmail.com. Please feel free to DM me privately. But what this says to me, the only way that I'm aware of that players can get a piece of the TV money is if they are, if they, they have to collectively bargain it, which means they have to form a union which means they have to be employees of the school. Now, I could be 100% wrong on this. And again, legal scholars that listen to this podcast, please feel free to correct me. I don't believe that players could get a piece of the TV revenue unless it's collectively bargained, which means you need a union. To, to, ha to have a union, you need to be employees. 
And so to me, I think Billy Napier is talking about essentially what I talked about last week. Remember last week I talked about it on this show. I said, look, I don't know where college football is going. I don't know where college sports is going. I, I had had, at that point, I had had conversations with somebody in the Pac-12 that's pretty high up in terms of the Pac-12. But what I said was, and I just referenced it a minute ago, it feels as like we could be headed towards a world where college football is still run under, college, you know, under the college umbrella, but that it's basically completely different than all of the other sports which would be run under the NCAA umbrella. The idea being that college football at its highest level could set universal guidelines on NIL, universal guidelines on the transfer portal, universal guidelines on tampering, all of the big issues that we don't have answers for right now, but we can't get NIL under control, we can't get tampering under control, we can't stop players from transferring unless we kind of change the fundamental shape of how college football is run. And so Billy Napier's comments on the heels of Gene Smith's comments about college football running itself, I'm just telling you, this to me was the most important piece of information that came out during the SEC meetings in Destin on Tuesday. The Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban stuff was good, but I believe that that is the most important piece, the idea that a head coach is mentioning the ideas of players getting TV revenue. Again, this isn't, we're not talking about players getting, uh, you know, 500 bucks to go sign autographs at, at Slappy Sports Bar and Grill, you know? This is a lot different. We're talking hundreds of millions, in some cases, of dollars split up amongst the players, and it just speaks to me. I don't know how quickly this all happens, but I think the college football that we all know, especially college football, college basketball to a smaller degree, but the college football that we know is going to be completely different in five, 10 years from now than it is now. It's already, right now, it's, it's different than what it was three, four, five years ago. I can't even imagine what it's looking like in 10 years, but Billy Napier for the first time, the only other person I've heard say this, Dan Lust, who's an actual lawyer, but Billy Napier sitting here saying, I could see the scenario where players get a cut of the TV revenue. That is completely different. That is being an employee of a school. And that is, to me, the most interesting thing that came out of the coaches' meetings in Destin on Tuesday. Whew, great opening segment of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Did AT do it again? Or did AT do it again? What a great segment to open the show. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break, and I want to switch to hoops. As I said, the NBA draft deadline is... Tonight, midnight Eastern on June 1, and a couple big decisions has been made over the last couple weeks. We've had a big decision at Gonzaga, a big decision at Kansas, a big decision in Arizona, and we still have some big decisions to come tonight. What I'm going to do, come back, discuss all the big decisions that have happened, everything that is coming. We'll wrap with the big day at Kentucky. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears just a bit. And I do want to talk a little bit about some basketball. Because as I told you last week, and really actually at the beginning of this show as well, this is actually a very big week in terms of the world of basketball. Not just because the NBA Finals are going on. Maybe we'll do a little bit of that on the next episode, which will actually drop tomorrow on Thursday. But it's also a big week in terms of the NBA draft. Wednesday, midnight Eastern, is the date and time that players have to announce whether they are staying in the NBA draft or returning to college basketball. So obviously from the pro perspective, it's important because you get an official list of players that will be draft eligible and entering the draft this year. But also from college basketball's perspective, we will basically have all but finalized rosters come this time, basically tomorrow. And so what I want to do is go ahead and really hit on over the last about week or so, since I last recorded, so maybe since last Friday, we've had about four or five really big decisions that are really going to impact college basketball in either a positive or negative way, stay or go next year. So I want to recap what decisions have been made and then what decisions are still to come uh, in the next 24 hours. Obviously, this news is very time sensitive. Uh, You're listening on Wednesday morning. If you're listening by the evening time, some of these, if not all of these decisions have been made. Um, And so obviously, look, it's, it's, it's it's a moving thing. This stuff is always evolving. And so unfortunately, by the time some of you listen to this, it will be a little bit outdated. As I mentioned to lead the show, we will actually do a follow up episode on Thursday reacting to the biggest NBA draft decisions, what it means for college basketball. I'll give you an updated top 25 as well. But with that said, I do want to get to some of the big decisions over the last couple days. And one of the biggest ones uh, is one that, that frankly just happened right before I started recording here about 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. And that is that Daylon Terry from Arizona has decided to stay in the NBA draft. And if you have followed this show, if you've listened to this show, I would argue that I talked more about Dale and Terry over the last couple weeks than probably any podcast in America unless his mom or dad hosts one. Uh, But this was a kid that so impressed me late in the season this past year at Arizona, a player that only quote-unquote averaged eight points, five rebounds, and four assists per game. But if you followed Arizona late in the season, he was really one of their best players. NCAA tournament against Houston, uh, Arizona loses. He's basically the only player that shows up 17 points, six rebounds, three assists. 
also in the Pac-12 championship game against a good UCLA team, 15.7 rebounds and 7 assists. Kirk Carissa goes down with an injury. He is the guy that steps up, and I kept telling you guys and girls, I said, this guy, if he ends up testing the waters, I have a feeling that he is going to stay in the draft because he's a 6'7 guard. He has confidence. He has the measurables. He has the skill to play in the NBA. That's exactly what happened on Tuesday night as he announced that he is officially leaving Arizona for the NBA draft. On the one hand, I think for people who don't follow this stuff day to day or didn't watch Arizona basketball a ton, this might be surprising. To me, it's not surprising at all. Like I said, I thought this guy was really one of the late blooming stars of this last college basketball season and really was the guy that brought so much swag and so much confidence to this Arizona team. Um, and it was interesting, right, because in the in the spring, Arizona had some workouts with some of their quote-unquote returning players. He showed up. Arizona fans thought it was a good sign that he might come back, but he tested the waters. He goes to Chicago a few weeks ago for the Combine. Absolutely impresses everybody, not only with his talent, with his measurables, but also his personality. And he's out the door. And I can't express enough how crippling this is for year two of the Tommy Lloyd era at Arizona. Now, to be clear, Tommy Lloyd's an awesome coach. Arizona's going to be okay. They've been good at basketball for the last 40 years. They will be good at basketball going forward. But in terms of the 2022-2023 team, it is a crushing blow. I really believed if he came back to Arizona, he could have a Ben Matherin-type impact this year. Ben Matherin was the guy that decided to return to college basketball last year, returns to Arizona, uh, ends up being an All-American this year. I thought this kid could have that kind of impact. I had Arizona in the top 10 with him returning. Now that he is gone, I have them probably on the fringes of the top 25. They still have three of their top six guys coming back. Kirk Risa, their starting point guard. Asulis Tubelis, a big uh, kind of 6'10", 6'11", forward. And Umar Balo, one transfer from Gonzaga, who I thought actually played very well this year at Arizona. But the bottom line is they just lost their three best players, I believe, certainly the three most athletic players, the three most NBA-ready players, and so a team that was good enough to win the national championship in 2022, I'm not saying they fall off the map. This is Arizona basketball. As I said, three of their top six guys are back, but Dalen Terry was the guy that I thought kept them in the top 10 in the Pac-12 title conversation. He decides to leave. UCLA, to me, is the overwhelming favorite in the Pac-12. Arizona... Uh, now, to me, again, a fringe top 25 team that is good, but I don't think they're like Final Four National Championship good. Uh, staying with the stay or go decisions that came over the last couple weeks, the last couple days, this one really came kind of leading into Memorial Day weekend, but another go decision, Christian Brown, second leading scorer for Kansas's National Championship team. He decides that he is leaving Kansas. Now, he's a guy at the beginning of the process I really did think could return again Kansas, another school that had a player that was on the fringes of the first round last year, Ochai Abaji. He decides to return. He turns into an All-American. He goes now into a probably situation where he is a top 10, top 15 pick. I thought Christian Brown could follow suit and do that. But as the process went on, it became increasingly clear that he would probably leave for two different reasons. One, he had really played his way into that first round consideration by the end of the NBA, uh, by the end of the NCAA tournament, excuse me. People were talking about Christian Brown as a first round pick potentially. That only got solidified through the NBA draft process. 
And then also keep in mind, as I've talked about quite a bit from Kansas's perspective, they are now in a situation where we don't know if they're going to be eligible for the 2023 NCAA tournament, excuse me, because of this NCAA investigation that's been going on forever. So I think the uncertainty with the team, the confidence in his draft stock, Christian Brown decides to leave. But what I will tell you is, as I record here, Kansas still has some big decisions left. Jalen Wilson, a forward that was a really big part of their national title run this year, a guy that averaged 11.7.5 rebounds per game. He is still testing the waters. I don't know if he's even projected to be drafted. I would expect him to return, but again, you just don't know. He's been in college basketball for three seasons at this point. You wonder if he really wants to come back into a fourth year off of a national championship. Also at Kansas, remember this, Kevin McCuller guard who actually played this past season, well, really the past three seasons at Kansas's big, big 12 rival, Texas Tech. He announced that he's transferring to Kansas, but has not officially withdrawn from the NBA draft process yet. As long as Kansas gets both those guys back, I still think they're a top 10 team. I still think they're a team that will compete for a big 12 title. I still think they're a team that could defend that national championship if they're allowed into the NCAA tournament. I just think the big question becomes if they will actually get both those guys back. If they do, I think they'll be fine. It will be interesting to see what happens again over these next 24 hours. Continuing the conversation, let's keep it going. Another school that I have in the top 10 right now got good news on Tuesday. That is at Gonzaga, where a kid named Rasir Bolton, who really solidified himself as like their third or fourth option offensively. He had been testing the draft waters. He's been in college forever. Uh, actually played at Penn State, Iowa State, and now this past season at Gonzaga. 11 points, 46% from three. Rasir Bolton announces that he is coming back for Gonzaga. Can't put it simply enough. This is a big piece of news for Gonzaga. Anytime you can get back a guy that averaged 12 points per game, a guy that's played college basketball for three, four years now at a really high level, that's just a really important piece to have for Gonzaga. Now, a couple other notes on Gonzaga. One, they, like Kansas, still have two people currently testing the NBA draft process. One is obviously Drew Timmy the All-American, last two seasons, uh, a guy that you simply, if, if he decides to go, you cannot replace him at this point. Averaged 18.5 points, seven rebounds this past season, 19.7 rebounds during Gonzaga's run to the 2021 Final Four. And then another guy that I've talked about quite a bit, Julian Strother, is a guy that was the, the fourth leading scorer for uh, Gonzaga over this past season, averaged 12 points per game, five and a half rebounds. I'm a little biased. I saw probably the best college game of his career when he dropped 20 against Duke in Vegas at the uh, in a game that was on Black Friday. But this is one of those Gonzaga guys, little bit off the radar. I think he could be like an all-American type guy next year and be a top 10, top 15 pick next season the way that so many other guys at Gonzaga have been. Don't know what his plan is, don't know what he's going to do, but I do think Gonzaga, it's going to rely, their success is certainly going to rely on not just those two guys coming back specific, uh, at all, but Drew Timmy specifically. I mean, listen, I have Gonzaga in the top 10. If Drew Timmy is not back, they are not a top 10 team coming into next year. They're, they're probably closer to a fringe top 25. I also think for them to ultimately reach their potential. They not only need to get back the two guys that I mentioned, they had two freshman guards this year, Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, 
both those guys kind of got to step up, or at least one of them does. If one of them can become, uh, you know, a, a 13 point a game, four and a half, five assist guy, that changes Gonzaga's trajectory altogether. So it's going to be an interesting 24 hours at Gonzaga, where, as I said, as of right now, they are still waiting on two players. But Rasir Bolton, a piece of good news, he has announced that he is coming back. Uh, One really interesting piece of news that dropped on Tuesday uh, was a guy that, that, I mean, I haven't talked about at all on this show because, one, he played for a really bad team. Two, it was just like a foregone conclusion that he's gone. But Terquavian Smith, NC State, probably haven't heard a ton of him. If you remember, we had NC State's coach Kevin Keats on this podcast at one point. Um, But Terquavian says, very interesting scenario. Averaged 16 points per game enters the NBA draft, is one of the risers of the NBA draft. If you enter the NBA draft process as a relatively unknown guy, it really could not have gone much better. ESPN had him ranked as the number 22 player in this class, a first-round lock. Um, He said that his agents were hearing anywhere from 15 to 25, and he decides to come back to college basketball next season. One, I thought his reasoning was very interesting. And I thought it was very cool, too. First of all, he said in an interview with Jonathan Gavoni at ESPN that he kind of, he hasn't had the real college basketball experience. Freshman year is the COVID year. Everything gets shut down. It's a complete disaster. Sophomore, or no, no, excuse me. Freshman year was the year that, that COVID wreaked havoc. Everybody was playing in empty arenas, and he doesn't get to experience that. Last year, it was still that start, stop, start, stop testing non-testing are we still testing this team suspended but you know and so he just said I want a normal college basketball experience two he said listen I respect my agents but you know I got to do what I think is best for me and my plan is to come back ball out and put myself in a position where I'm in the top 10 no question about it at this time next year so I give this kid a ton of credit um, and you talk about just a, a W that Kevin Keats at NC State needed. Tur- Turquavian Smith is it. NC State finished last in the ACC this year. Now, it's, an, it's been an interesting deal with Kevin Keats at NC State. It's been an interesting deal because he made the NCAA tournament his first year. And then really it's been not very good since then. But it's kind of explainable as to what happened. Second year, they're literally the first team left out of the tournament. Third year, there's no NCAA tournament. Fourth year is COVID. This year, it all bottoms out. And this year, at at one point, six scholarship players were out with injuries. And so I bring all this up to say that it has looked on paper like a not very successful reign for Kevin Keats. He is only 25 and 32 in the last two seasons. There was an argument to fire him after this previous season, after the season that just finished, after they finished in last place in the ACC. But What ended up happening was he got back a player that nobody expected him to get back. What's interesting, NC State has another guy that is testing the NBA draft waters as we speak, Darion Sebron, who was another elite player. And if those guys come back and if everybody stays healthy, you're now talking about a team that's going to be an interesting, you know, in the conversation in terms of the NCAA tournament. So you talk about just a big, big, big day and a big, big, big win for Kevin Keats and NC State. Woo, buddy. They needed this one. They get Turquavian Smith back. Really quickly, a couple guys that have yet to make a decision that we'll be monitoring going into Wednesday. These are all guys that I've talked about before, guys that have not made an official decision yet. 
First one, really interesting one, Marcus Sasser from Houston. He's a guy that I have discussed, uh, I, I discussed a few weeks ago because really interesting story. We all talked this season about how Houston continued to win without their top two players. One of them was Marcus Sasser. The other one was Tremont Mark. Well, he enters the NBA draft. Nobody knows much about him. He didn't play much this year. He played a total of 12 games before going down with injury. And he goes to the NBA draft elite combine and he balls out, which leads to an invite to the normal combine, balls out. And now there's talk that he might not be back at Houston next year. As of right now, I still have him coming back. If he comes back, Houston is a top five team that is good enough to win the national championship. If he doesn't, I still think they're really good. I trust Kelvin Sampson explicitly, but I don't know that you can have them as a national championship contender, so we will keep an eye on that. The other couple that are worth noting, the first, uh, Michigan, two players as we've discussed, interesting scenarios there. Caleb Houston was a kid that came to Michigan, kind of deemed a one-and-done prospect, had an up-and-down freshman year, um, but uh, uh, came on strong late, 10 points, uh, per game shot ended up shooting about 36% from three those numbers increased over the course of the back end of the season really played pretty well down the stretch very interesting story here most people thought he was just going to test and return goes to the NBA combine and as I discussed doesn't participate in anything including five on five drills which leads many to speculate that he has a guarantee in the first round from some team and that he will end up leaving also, his teammate Musa Diabate, another big man, has a tough decision to make. Those two have yet to make official decisions. And look, I mean, it, it changes the trajectory in big ways for Michigan. If both come back, they're probably a preseason top 10 team. If neither come back, they're on the fringes of the top 25. Michigan waiting on those two guys. Marquette waiting on their best player, Justin Lewis. Uh, we're not quite at the finish line yet. But Duke also with a very interesting scenario. Trevor Keels is a guy that is still not technically in this NBA draft. Trevor Keels was a guy that really blew up early in the season, had that great 20-point performance against Kentucky in the season opener. Um, from there, though, really did struggle, wasn't the same, uh, and never really got going. So Trevor Keels is a guy worth keeping an eye on. That is really the last big one. Duke is also recruiting a kid testing the waters named A.J. Green, a transfer from Northern Iowa. It seems as though he could be a replacement if Trevor Keels leaves. All right, there was one last piece of stay or go news, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break. I was just going to lump it all in together, but Kentucky got back a key piece for next year in Jacob Toppin. He announced his decision on Tuesday. Why am I saving it and not just talking about it right now? It is because it was a busy day at Kentucky. I'm going to do a standalone segment. Kentucky added an assistant coach. There is a very interesting name that could be joining him at Kentucky. So rather than hit on Jacob Toppin, we're going to take a break, end with Kentucky, because I think there was really two or three things that happened at Kentucky on Tuesday that are worth discussing. We will discuss all of that next. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and AthleticGreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company... 
they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash emerging for one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back, good to be back, final segment of the show, so good to be back. There is one last piece of kind of stay or go news that I do want to get to, and I decided to save this one till the end for a couple reasons. One, uh, the player just frankly, at least on paper, is not as big of a name as some of those other guys that I mentioned, so it felt good to save him till the end, but on top of that, the player, uh, Jacob Toppin, who we're going to talk about in a minute, plays at Kentucky, and this was a day on Tuesday that was actually a pretty big news day at the University of Kentucky. It's always busy in the offseason at Kentucky. It's especially, uh, there's always seems to be newsworthy things this offseason specifically coming off the St. Peter's loss. There's been some frustrating recruiting things, uh, and so it turned into a really busy day. Jacob Toppin's coming back. They have finalized the coaching staff, and oh, by the way, my buddy Matt Jones mentioned something very, very interesting about another thing that they could do with the coaching staff this offseason. So let's get into the day that was at Kentucky. And like I said, we'll kind of wrap the show with the Kentucky news. First of all, the player that is returning is, as I just said, Jacob Toppin. Obviously, you all know, you don't need me to tell you, the younger brother of Obi Toppin who plays for the New York Knicks. Their dad was a very good player in his own right. And I think Jacob Toppin has really shown some flashes. And I really believe that despite only averaging 6.2 points per game last year, only starting four games, this is a move that matters more than you think because I think he has the potential to really be a breakout player next year. And I believe that when you're looking at a guy that only only started four games, only averaged 6.2 points, context matters in this case as to why those stats were the way that they were, but also why he could break out next season. So what is the context around Jacob Toppin and why I believe he could be a, a, a big piece for a Kentucky team that I actually think might actually be a little bit better than we're giving them credit for, again, in a controversial offseason for John Calipari. So first of all, in terms of why I think he could be a breakout player, there's a few reasons. I mean, one, I just said it. He's got the NBA genes and the NBA bloodlines, okay? This is a guy whose brother plays in the NBA. This is a guy who regularly, when he's with his brother, is working out with NBA guys, around NBA guys. His dad, obviously, again, was a high-level player in his days. And so it's not as though we're talking about some backup that averaged six points per game that's five foot 11 with a slow first step. Like this guy, six foot 10, six foot nine, whatever he is, can jump out the gym um, and has all of these, the measurables to have a high level of success in college basketball. I think it's also important to note that, like, when 
He did play last year, and he actually played his best in some of the biggest games for Kentucky. I went back and looked it up. 11 points versus Kansas, 14 versus LSU when LSU was really good undefeated early in the season, 13 versus Bama. I think it's important to note that opening night game against Duke, when he got put on Paulo Bancaro, Paulo Bancaro really struggled, and so you started to see flashes, but the reason that he didn't play last year was because he was behind Keon Brooks, a very similar player to who he is and what he does. I actually think you can argue that Jacob Toppin is maybe, certainly in the long term, has higher upside than Keon Brooks, and this is no disrespect to Keon Brooks, but I think that, 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 that he probably is a better player and will be a better player next year in college basketball, but last year Keon Brooks started in large part because this is just what John Calipari does, right? John Calipari, in general, gives the benefit of the doubt to the older players, especially the guys that are great leaders, the guys that have sacrificed for the program, and nobody did that more than Keon Brooks two seasons ago during the COVID year when Kentucky was a complete mess. And so Keon, I believe, kind of got the benefit of the doubt last year. Jacob Toppin showed flashes, but Jacob Toppin was never going to start over Keon Brooks. And so I believe that Jacob Toppin this year, Keon Brooks will not be back. He declared for the draft, but then entered the transfer portal. I believe that Jacob Toppin has a chance to be a breakout star. Again, NBA size and measurables. Played his best against the best teams, which means to me that when you're not playing VMI and you're not playing um, Eastern Kentucky or whoever, and they're not trying to slow down the game and they're not trying to ugly it up, when you're playing other teams with comparable talent, NBA-level talent, like LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Kansas have, Jacob Toppin was awesome. And the, 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 the better the talent, the better he played, the more that he elevated his game. More playing time, played well in big games, And I actually think he fits better with all of the pieces at Kentucky next year. And so when I look at Kentucky, let let, let me go from the the Jacob Toppin element of it to how he fits in with this team specifically. What I would say is what I just said a minute ago and what I've said all spring long. I understand the frustration of Kentucky fans with the state of the program coming off the worst NCAA tournament loss in program history. I understand that we're coming off a 2021 season in which Kentucky, of course, was a disaster. And really, it's been about seven years since Kentucky has really looked like the Kentucky teams of the early John Calipari era. It's been seven years since you made a Final Four. And I understand the frustration of Kentucky fans right now that are just saying our program is going in the wrong direction. Worst season in modern history in 2021. Worst NCAA tournament loss in 2022. Weird recruiting stuff, which we discussed with Shaden Sharp. We discussed with DJ Wagner. We're going to talk a little more DJ Wagner here in a minute. Um, But I also believe that while I understand the frustration, I do think that we have to, I, I do think maybe the best way to put it is that I think we're kind of overselling how good Kentucky could potentially be next year. First of all, let's never forget, this was a team that in early February went to Kansas and beat the eventual national champions by 20 points. And there was a big chunk of the year where many people, myself included, sat there and said, I think this might be the best team in college basketball. I think they're good enough to win a national championship. You don't want to take my word for it. I had Sean Miller on this podcast in mid-February, and I think Kentucky was the first school that he mentioned in terms of teams that he liked that were capable of winning a national championship. Well, two starters are back from that that team. Severe Wheeler, the point guard. Oscar Shibway, National Player of the Year. I believe you have an upgrade with Jacob Toppin at the four spot next to Oscar Shibway. He plays better alongside Oscar Shibway than Keon Brooks did. And then the other two spots are going to be filled by pretty similar players. Last year was Ty Ty Washington, five-star freshman in the backcourt. 
Next year, it's going to be Cason Wallace, five-star freshman in the backcourt. Last year, alongside those four guys, Ty Ty Washington, Oscar Shibway, Keon Brooks, and, uh, and who's the last one that I'm missing, Severe Wheeler? There was a guy named Kellen Grady. Well, guess what? You got another great three-point shooter in C.J. Frederick, and if he's going to come off, the, if he's going to start, then he he will fill the role of Kellen Grady admirably. And if he doesn't start, you got a transfer named Antonio Reeves who could step in as well. And so when I look at this Kentucky team, I understand the frustration of last year, but I also look at it in the the thirty thousand foot view of. I think this team has a chance to be pretty similar to what it was last year. And for as frustrating as the loss was to end the twenty twenty two season. Let's never forget that, again, this was a team that most of us felt for most of the year was good enough to win a national championship. And so when I look at the 2022-2023 roster, and I'll be quick here because we want to move on to the, the assistant coach hiring and the, the juicy, spicy meatball of a, of, a, of a coaching rumor. But I look at next year's team, and if you're telling me that last year's team when healthy, when at 100%, was good enough to win a national championship, I'm sorry, but a team that has two starters back from that team, maybe the two most important ones, point guard Severe Wheeler, who has to get better, has to stay healthy, has to stay in shape, but also led, led the SEC in assists, and Oscar Shibway, the national player of the year, I believe there's a, 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 an upgrade at the four spot, and I believe the other two spots are going to be comparable, if not uh, you know, basically the same as last year. And so all I'm going to say, and I'll wrap and we'll get to some of the coaching news and all that kind of stuff, I do think that, again, I understand the frustration from Kentucky fans, but I also think that we're probably underselling the upside of next year's team as well. Once all the news is official tomorrow, I will release my updated top 25, and unless something shocking happens, Kentucky is going to be in that top 10. I'm not ready to say right now that I think they're the favorite in the SEC ahead of Arkansas because Arkansas has a ton of talent. But, I mean, Kentucky's going to be somewhere in that 6-7-8 range. And if you're 6-7-8, that means you're going to be a, a two-seed with the potential to be a one-seed, and you're going to be good enough to win the national championship. So Jacob Toppin is back, and this is my bold prediction for next year. I believe he steps up. I believe that the confidence that he now has from going through the NBA draft process and the fact that nobody is in front of him, that Jacob Toppin is going to be an all-SEC first-team performer. You heard it here first. I am really high on this guy's upside, and I think with the increased playing time with fewer pieces around him that kind of do the same thing, I think Jacob Toppin turns into a star. All right, really quickly, two other news and notes pieces from uh, Kentucky on Tuesday. The first one is that they filled their assistant coaching spot. And if you listen to this show, we talked about it about a month ago, but in a very controversial move, Jay Lucas, super young, super dynamic recruiter, especially in the state of Texas, announces that he is leaving Kentucky for Duke. It wasn't just that he left, it was that he left for the same position at Duke. One, from Duke's perspective, it was kind of interesting because Coach K historically had only hired from within. He didn't bring in people from outside the family, outside the brotherhood. But from the Kentucky perspective, it was especially interesting because you lose a bright, young, dynamic assistant head coach to a school that, while you don't play every year, is your rival. You're going in, uh, you know, you're recruiting the same caliber of players every year that Duke is, and now you lose a key assistant to Duke. It was crushing, it was frustrating. And since then, there has been a, a spot on the coaching staff that is open. Well, this week, we got confirmation on who it will be as Tuesday. John Calipari announced, drumroll please. <laughs> Kentucky's assistant coaching spot will be filled by KT Turner, who comes from Oklahoma. Now, let me say this. 
When I saw this news, I saw obviously the Kentucky fan base. This was a guy that probably was not on their radar, but they seemed to be pretty frustrated. But that was because, let's be honest, they didn't know what to expect. Is it going to be a guy with an NBA background? Is it going to be a guy that we know? Is it going to be a name that we don't know? Let's be honest. How many assistant coaches do you really know in college basketball outside of two or three of the really big ones, right? You know, um, you know, John Shire when he was an assistant because of the success he had. Jay Lucas because of the success he had. Maybe a guy that works on Chris Beard's staff at Texas or a new guy at Duke. or whatever. There's not that many guys that you actually know. And what I can tell you is while I don't know KT Turner personally, I've heard nothing but good things. One, I actually have a listener of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I won't mention your name, but you know who you are. At least one that has worked with KT Turner. I won't say where or when who said nothing but good things. And I should mention, by the way, KT Turner was, the, was an assistant coach this past year at Oklahoma on Porter Mosier's first staff at Oklahoma. Prior to that, he was at Texas with Shaka Smart. Prior to that, he was at SMU with a couple people, including Larry Brown. And Larry Brown apparently had big sway in this announcement. And so why I bring it up is because and Larry Brown, of course, was John Calipari's former boss at both Kansas and with the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, John Calipari really respects Larry Brown's voice in this decision. And so I only bring it up because I cannot sit here and say that I know KT Turner personally, but what I can tell you is everybody that I talk to loves him. The guy that I know that has worked with him, won't name his name, what school he worked with him at, but he said this guy's great, he's dynamic, he's great with kids, he's a great recruiter, he's super plugged in in that southwest portion of the country, the Texas-Oklahoma area, and he is everything that you want from an assistant coach. Great with the kids, everybody likes him, good recruiter, all that good stuff. I would also say I talked to Porter Mosier uh, at one point last summer, and he mentioned how excited he was to work with KT Turner and how impressed he had been early in their run together. This was maybe two months after he was hired, but I like it. I mean, listen, I like it. At the end of the day, I think there were some Kentucky fans that were a little bit surprised, but again, how many assistant coaches do you really know? And then on top of that, what is very clear to me is that what John Calipari is trying to do is replicate the success that he has had in recruiting Texas specifically under Jay Lucas by bringing in another guy that has deep ties in that state. You don't need me to tell you, but over the last couple years, the state of Texas, I think you can argue, produces as much high-level Division I talent as any region of the country. Maybe California is somewhere pretty close, close in terms of the sheer numbers. But the players that have come out of Texas the last three, four, five years are unbelievable. Um, Kate Cunningham, R.J. Hampton, Kaysen Wallace, Tyrese Maxey. I'm just going on through my head. Anthony Black, who's in McDonald's All-American, going to Arkansas next year. Kaysen Wallace, I just mentioned, is going to Kentucky. So the talent is there, and what I believe is that John Calipari was trying to replicate the success that they had under Jay Luke, with Jay Lucas on the staff by adding KT Turner. Can I sit here and say this is the the, the hire that's going to change the program forever? No, I can't. But it's clear that John Calipari prioritized recruiting. What I will say is kind of interesting is I've heard from some different coaching staffs over the last couple months. With NIL the way that it is, recruiting is kind of less of an important thing because some schools are just willing to, you know, do what Nick Saban accused Jimbo Fisher of is just pay what it takes to get a kid to campus. Kentucky does not appear to be willing to do that. John Calipari came out and said a few weeks ago he doesn't make guarantees in NIL. So recruiting is obviously still of a priority to him, and I think this was a good hire. We know that Orlando Antigua runs the Northeast. We know that Chin Coleman is successful in the Chicago area. KT Turner is going to hit a very important spot in the Texas-Oklahoma area. And like I said, 
the people that I spoke with seemed to really like him. Finally, last little piece of recruiting news, and this is a doozy. And it goes back to something that we talked about over the last couple weeks, which is the recruitment of the number one high school player in America going into this coming season, DJ Wagner. His dad was an elite high school college player in his own right, played for John Calipari at Memphis. It was deemed that his son was going to play for John Calipari at Kentucky forever. Then last week, Louisville hired DJ Wagner's grandfather, Milt Wagner, um, who of course played at Louisville and is the grandfather of the number one high school player in America. And the thought was, including from me, including from every recruiting writer, that it makes DJ Wagner a lock to go to Louisville. So why do I bring it up? It is because my good buddy Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, put out a very interesting tweet on Tuesday following the KT Turner news. Tweeted a little bit about KT Turner, and then he mentioned this. And this is a direct quote from Matt Jones' Twitter feed, so I'm not paraphrasing. He said, I am also told that there is a world where Dewan Wagner, obviously the father of DJ Wagner, could end up joining Kentucky basketball in some capacity. Not finalized, but possible. You hire grandpa over at Louisville, we hire dad. And so let's get into this because this is a juicy, spicy meatball of a topic. And listen, what I would say is obviously it speaks to the fact that, um, you know, one, we might not be done with this, but two, it just speaks to the fact that DJ Wagner has the most interesting recruitment in all of high school basketball. What I would say is a couple things. One, I'm just going to flat out say it. If John Calipari can make this move and he can do it in a manner in which he can still recruit and potentially sign the son, I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Just think about all these guys that have done something to this effect over the last couple years and how it's benefited their careers. Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State, a guy that I respect, a guy that I've had on this show multiple times. He signs Cade Cunningham by signing, also hiring his brother in an on-the-court role. Oklahoma State has a great regular season. Oklahoma State goes to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Other schools start snooping around. Mike Boynton gets a huge extension. Andy Enfield over here in Los Angeles hires Eric Mobley, a guy that I respect a ton and we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. His son Evan Mobley turns into a first-round pick, top-five pick, plays for Cleveland, leads them to a play-in game this year. The older brother, Isaiah Mobley, plays three years at USC, leaves for the draft after this season. During that time, USC had the third most wins over those three years that the Mobleys were on the the roster. The third most wins in all of college basketball behind only Kansas and Baylor. That is absolutely insane. It got Andy Enfield a nice extension. And to me, I think that we're at this place where John Calipari thinks, you know, hiring family members or doing this, doing anything other than what is normal is beneath me. It's not beneath you. It doesn't, it's not beneath you. If you hire the guy, if you hire the dad, if you hire Milt Wagner, or you hire Dewan Wagner, excuse me, major difference, and the son comes with him, and the son goes to the Final Four, who cares if it's beneath you? But I do believe that John Calipari has kind of convinced himself that it's beneath Kentucky and it's beneath him to do this kind of stuff. And I think he's out of his mind. I think if there's a way you can add Dewan Wagner and he can, you can still recruit DJ, I would add you better sign DJ if you hire Dewan Wagner. If you don't, if you don't sign Dewan Wa- DJ Wagner after you hire his dad, that's an insanely bad look. But if there's a way you can do it, you can do it. Because here's the other thing. On top of the fact that it's just going to help your team, it's going to help your program, it's not as though DeWan Wagner wasn't a great basketball player, right? 
So I just mentioned Eric Mobley, the father of Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley. I know Eric very well, but I remember talking to Andy Enfield when the hire was made, and Andy said to me point blank, he goes, Aaron, look at the guy's resume. The guy, first of all, his two sons are superstars, so you know he can develop talent, but this guy played major college basketball, he played at Portland, WCC, and he had like a 10-year career overseas. Guy was a professional for 10 years. You think he can't come in and help my program? And it's the same with Dewan Wagner. If Dewan Wagner was a plumber or an accountant or a lawyer and you're hiring him to get his son, yeah, that's a little bit different than hiring Dewan Wagner, former number one high school player in America, former lottery pick, former NBA player. And obviously, if you hire him in some off-the-court role, he can't be on the court, but it doesn't mean that he can't mentor these guys. It doesn't mean that he can't help. It doesn't mean that he can't um, you know, be a sounding board, being whatever. And who cares if you get the sun? So I have no idea if anything will come of it. Obviously, as I said, it would have to be in a role in which uh, you could still recruit the sun because you don't hire Dewan Wagner if you can't get the sun. And what I would finally say is this. You hire Dewan Wagner. You better be darn sure that DJ's coming with him because if you still lose him to Louisville or if you lose him to Memphis, wherever you lose him to, Ooh, I do not think that is something that you can recover from if you're John Calipari. And poor Dewan Wagner probably get, you know, whatever. It'd be a, t- it'd be a tough couple of months for Dewan Wagner at Kentucky uh, if his son is playing college basketball elsewhere. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. You know, I'll say this. Late May, early June, we're still cranking out the content. I appreciate everybody's support and appreciate everybody that has done so much for this show. May, just another incredible month of downloads. I mean, we are up significantly from this time last year, even doing more episodes, and it's thanks to you guys and girls who support this show. So as a reminder, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod. Make sure you're following all the different Torres on accounts, whether it's Torres on UK, Kentucky, Torres on the Vols, the best college baseball team in America. Whatever, whatever your team is, we probably got an account for you. Tours on Arkansas, tours on Bama, tours on this, tours on that. If you want to start your own account for your own team, hit me up. We'll make it happen. Make sure you're following that. And then finally, if you want to, subscribe to the YouTube page. Really help me grow that place too. 11,000 subscribers over there, so thank you all for your support. Those of you that are dual subscribers to both the podcast and the YouTube page. With that said, it's time for me to get out of here. Quick turnaround. I will have another episode on Thursday because, of course, midnight on Wednesday is the NBA draft deadline. We will have finalized stuff for college basketball next year. We will know the rosters. We'll know who's going where. And I'll give you an updated top 25. With that said, it is time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening. I just want to say this. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Why'd you block me, JJ Reddick? We'll be back tomorrow with a new episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hope everybody has a great day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.